0: So I got this new year resolution, and I need you to hear me out. The new 2013 solution is what I'm going to be all about. YOLO, you only live once, and my life's about to get intense. I'm done playing by God's rules. I'm done living on the fence. Tell churchies to kick rocks and let parties, women, and fast cash
1: commence. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't mean to interrupt, but with all this love of sin, I got to be abrupt. Now just hold up. I'm not going to talk a New Year's resolution. I'm going to show you that what you're saying is like meaningless pollution. Now, the good news is, you're not here by mistake. God is fulfilling his promise to never leave nor forsake. And instead of you falling away or being led astray, you came to me. So I'm going to tell you what God has to say.
0: Look, man, I don't need to hear this.
1: God actually takes the role as father.
0: Man, you're walking on thin ice.
1: (laughs) Well... Jesus walked on water.
0: Man, I don't want this religion. I've been around it for years. I've been giving up my Sundays for something that's been founded on fears. And although I know you're sincere, let me make this clear. I understand what you're saying, but I'm not meant to be here.
1: Wait. God says, do not fear, for we have been redeemed. It has been written in verse 1 of Isaiah 43. Now, and as for fast cash and financial proceeds... In Philippians 4, 19, God meets all of your needs. It does not end there. We are precious and honored in his sight. Despite all of our faults, so do not turn from his light. Don't give in to temptation. Surrender. Jesus will win this fight. Oh, man,
0: this faith is just too much. The Bible's filled with hundreds of laws. And yeah, maybe God sounded great as a child, but then again, so did Santa Claus. And yeah, maybe redemption makes sense. But I'm not about to be enslaved by rules. And I ain't trying to be rebellious. I'm just saying that when you start preaching, you look like a fool.
1: (laughs) Well, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. That's in 1 Corinthians 1. So what you said is biblical truth, and that truth cannot be undone. Something else in that chapter you seem to firmly agree is that God is pleased through the foolishness of what is preached to save those who believe. Okay, so then if you're preaching truth, why does it still feel
0: like a lecture? How about you tell me what I can do to apply all that scripture?
1: Look, it's not about you. The Bible says we were made for God's glory. So surrender your will to him and let God write your story.
0: All right, now this is all encouraging, but I'm going to need some explaining.
1: (laughs) Great, sounds good. So let's sit in this crowd and let Elder Dan McClain teach us biblical training.
2: Thank you guys. That was awesome. That was awesome. I had breakfast with them yesterday, and they uh, shared with me their heart. And I love them. I love them. I love them. So uh, I'm the Dan McLean they speak of. Uh, Hello and good morning. Um, Pastor Dave's not here today, and uh, when he asked me to share this morning, December seemed like far away. So I said yes. (laughs) Um, With uh, New Year's fast approaching, um, some of us are probably contemplating New Year's resolutions. Uh, it's a time when you can take stock in your life the past year and set goals uh, for the upcoming year. I'm sure with the Thanksgiving turkey and the Christmas ham and probably lots of cookies, uh, there many of us are thinking about a new exercise routine or maybe a New Year's diet, uh, or maybe after loading up some credit cards with some Christmas cheer, uh, we need to pull out a spreadsheet and get Dave Ramsey's book and set some goals for the next year. Um, well, I'm, I'm not a big fan of New Year's resolutions, But I'm not opposed to taking stock in my life and being resolved to change. Some of us this morning might be taking stock in our life and thinking that um, maybe more time in the Word or more time in prayer or executing some other spiritual discipline um, is going to be our goal for next year. Uh, What I want to talk about this morning is our motivation or desire behind this change. Uh, It's very important for us to understand that God is calling us to him, and that following God means to be transformed. And the reason I want to talk about this this morning is that we, as we look at our lives and as we take stock and what we want to change, uh, I want us to go at it with the correct motivation and the correct goal and the correct vision. But some of us here this morning uh, might not yet know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and yet, through some set of circumstances, you're here this morning, and it is not by mistake. Um, these reasons are kind of like an onion, uh, or if you're a Shrek fan, like an ogre. Uh, they have they have layers in them. Am I peeling an onion right? Okay, John does that a lot. Um, it, they can they can be like, uh, I'm here because uh, a girl asked me to come. I'm here because it's Christmas time, or I'm I'm here. I'm I'm here because, well, any any number of reasons. But at at the heart of it, no matter what the reason is, at the core, the reason you're here is the reason that we're all here. And that it's something inside us believes or is seeking to believe that the world as we know it is not the whole story. We hope that death is not the end. The beautiful truth is that Jesus' announcement of the good news, his birth, life, and death on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, is the announcement of the existence and availability of another dimension. This fallen world as we know it is not the whole story. There is a heaven and there is a hell and there is real as this table. The good news, the great news, is that the kingdom of God is closer than you think. It's available to you. It's available to people that have never thought of themselves as spiritual or religious. It's available to you now. To be rescued and forgiven comes only through Jesus Christ. Because he loved us 2,000 years ago, God became a human in the form of Jesus and made his home among us. He experienced love, joy, pain, and sadness, just as we do. Yet he still lived a perfect and sinless life. He then suffered and died on the cross on our behalf. But why? In 1 Peter 3.18... It says, For Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Three days after he died, he came back to life through his resurrection. If we come to him in faith, believing and trusting in him, he will rescue us and forgive all our sins. Freedom comes when you are forgiven and cleansed from all your sins. God will make your heart pure and clean and your sins as white as snow. When you are completely forgiven and trust in him, God erases the punishment for sin, which is death. Those who belong to Jesus Christ are no longer under God's sentence. Jesus took the punishment we deserved for our sin. Freedom to live a life filled with purpose and true joy can be yours even in the midst of a troubled world. Now we can experience freedom from things that formerly enslaved us, like fear or lust or addiction and pride. Through this freedom, we can enjoy a life pleasing to God. Jesus told us that He not only came to give us life, but to give it more abundantly. If life, if living a life with Christ at the center, sounds like a life changing, a life change that you would want to make today. I encourage you to come speak with myself or Eric or one of the other elders here today. We are here for you, and we would love to pray with you and invite God into your life. Now, God's desire for you, for all of us, is to grow and flourish. He has told us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Him. It's not about ritual or religion or tradition or, or anything like that. It's, it's about a relationship. As in any relationship, it takes time and investment, time reading his book, the Bible, time talking to him openly in prayer and worshiping and serving him with others in community. All of these things are essential for us to grow and flourish and become more like Jesus. But I beg everyone here today to understand, new believers and those years down the path, God's desire for you to grow in your faith is not about ritual or religion. His desire for us to grow is because he wants us to know him and live our lives for his glory, not ours. In Isaiah 43, 1 through 7, it says, But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring you children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, who, whom I formed and made. Now, all that's wonderful, but I just wanted to emphasize that we were created for his glory, not our own. This is one of the things that God's been teaching me personally this year. As a Christian, I need to live my life for his glory. In the past year, I had to come face to face with my own purpose in life. I don't think I'm alone when I say that um, it's very easy to make my glory number one priority. Climbing the ladder at work, uh, build or buy a bigger house, Get a new car, talk about my success, make sure everybody knows that I'm winning. Um, When I I lost my job this last summer, I was remembered how temporary and unimportant so many things are. Holly and I prayed to God to make our path clear. We prayed to um, provide me, we prayed to provide me with, it's going to sound weird, but to provide me with only one choice and praise God he delivered. Uh, I was on, only unemployed for two weeks, and God made sure that several doors stayed closed so that my only decision was to start a job at Apple and, uh, and for our family to trust God completely and make all that work out. Holly and I knew our income was going to be lower, so uh, it was clear we needed to, to sell our home and cut our expenses as much as possible. And praise God, in this economy, he provided a Buyer for our house in a month. And praise God, in a Craigslist search, he um, found uh, us a new home here in Eureka. And so many times during this, God showed us his love. He provided us for us through our friends and family and through just insane circumstances that can only be explained as, yeah, that was God. He showed me that I needed to get my act together And live my life in the hills in the valleys, leaning into his will and trusting in his plan. And God is using this change in this season to teach me that what I do provide for my family materials needs is is not number one priority. For God's glory, I need to set aside my plans and follow him. Follow him and live for his glory. (laughs) I have a a movie clip I want to share with you this morning. It's from the movie uh, Evan Almighty. Uh, The clip I want to show you is after the main character, Evan, played by uh, Steve Carell, has uh, really been convinced by God that uh, he wants him to build an ark in modern day, you know, current time. And uh, standing next to him is God, played by Morgan Freeman. And so this is his revelation.
1: So, you're really him, aren't you? You want more proof? I haven't done the pillow salt thing in a while. That's all right, I believe you. I just, I don't understand why you chose me. You want to change the world, son. So do I. What, why an arc? I mean, that's like flood territory. You wouldn't do that again. You wouldn't do that. Would you do that? Let's just say that whatever I do, I do because I love you.
2: Well, then you have to understand that this whole building an arc thing
1: is really not part of my plans here. I need to settle into my house. I need to make a good impression at work. (laughs) What? Your (laughs) plans.
2: What are you talking about? We're talking about an arc, right? I mean, an arc? An arc is huge. I don't even know where I would begin. I, I love this scene. Uh, you probably figured it out. My favorite part of this scene is, is uh, God laughing at my plans. Um, and I think this is how God would react, uh, reacts when, when, my, when my spiritual life sounds like this to him. Um, so the whole point is that, that God created us for his glory. But, but what does he want us to do? To answer that question, we need to turn to Matthew twenty-two thirty-six 36 through 40. In Matthew 22, we join the ministry of Jesus at the point when the religious and political leaders are trying to trap him into making a statement that would enrage one group or another so that Jesus would be marginalized or killed by the overflow of anger from one side or the other. The Pharisees, Herodians, and Sadducees had each taken their shots trying to trap Jesus in a statement that would end his ministry but he outmaneuvered them. Uh, he, was the, he was the Sherlock Holmes to the Pharisees, Professor Moliardi. Uh, he not only outmaneuvered them, he exposed their hearts to the public at large. The Pharisees had a long list of laws and regulations. In fact, their teachings were known as Phariseism. Jesus knew that their hearts and minds were in love with laws and not with God. For example, the Pharisees strained their water so that they wouldn't accidentally swallow a gnat. Now, that's okay as a practice, but that was a religious law. Um, it was an un- they considered the gnat an un- unclean insect, according to their law. The Pharisees were meticulous about the details of ceremonial cleanliness, but had lost their perspective on inner purity. In modern-day terms, this would be similar to being very prefi- precise and faithful about giving 10% of your money to God, but then refusing to give one-minute of your time to helping others. Tithing is important, uh, but giving a tithe does not exempt us from fulfilling God's greatest commandment. In verse 36, the, the Pharisees, who had over 600 laws, often argued about which one was the most important. Then uh, one of them stepped up and asked Jesus, which was the most important law? In, in verse 36 it says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And, and Jesus replies, and I, I really I love this, because uh, Jesus is awesome. And uh, so they ask him for the most important one, and, he's, and he comes back with two. Um, love the Lord with your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the greatest, first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself. All of the laws and of the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy to them, Deuteronomy 6, 5, and Leviticus 19, 18. By fulfilling these two commands, a person keeps all the others. By fulfilling these two commands, a person lives a life for God's glory. So here it is, the the simple truth that I wanted to share with you this morning. God created us for his glory, and we glorify him when we live a life that is following his greatest commandment. So as we take stock in our lives, and we become resolved to see change, we need to approach our spiritual disciplines as training and not the goal. If we've decided that our goal is to implement a new discipline and we make that our target, we're missing out. See, the target is to glorify God and to live out the greatest commandment. That's the target. The spiritual disciplines and training are the arrows. To put it another way, in reference to a great book on the subject, Dallas Willard's book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, he shares this principle. There's an immense difference between training to do something and trying to do something. Following the great commandment is not about trying harder. It's about training wisely. And this is what the Apostle Paul means when he encourages his young protege, Timothy, Train yourself in godliness. In 1 Timothy 4, 7-8, through 8, Paul writes, Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. See, it's interesting that at this time, Paul is ministering to an audience that understood athletics. See, Corinth was the site of the Ismian Games, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, second only to the Olympics in prominence in ancient Greece. Popular uh, theologian Gordon Fee proposed that Paul himself was probably in Corinth during these games in AD 51. Paul may have even made tents for visitors and contestants needing accommodations. It was in this context that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9:24 through 27, Do you not know that in a race... All the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way that you get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it a slave so that after. I have preached to others. I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. So, in this context, how do do we train? Before I dive into learning about uh, and covering some spiritual disciplines, I want to take a moment to just be clear and point out something. Uh, Spiritual disciplines are not a checklist for our salvation. Uh... Jesus already did that on the cross. In Romans 4, 5, it says, However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Spiritual disciplines and training are not work that we do to be saved. Spiritual disciplines are training that we undertake to change, to live the life we could not live without pursuing God. As we cover some spiritual disciplines, the Holy Spirit may be uh, prompting you, guiding you, whispering you, pounding you on the head, guiding you towards your next step in your walk with Jesus. I want to encourage you to listen to his promptings and pray for his help. So so what is a discipline? Uh, John Ortberg defines discipline as any activity I can do to direct, by direct effort That will help me do what I cannot do now by direct effort. Disciplines disciplines that are spiritual are simply those that help us to live in the fruit of the Spirit. Therefore, a spiritual discipline is anything that can help me live the life that Jesus taught and modeled. I'm going to talk about three of them here this morning. Uh, There are many activities that you can do to help you train to live a life that Jesus taught. Uh, What we cover this morning is only going to be scratching the surface. Um, there's some great books, namely the Bible. Um, I recently was convicted and while I was reading a book the last eight weeks uh, by John Ortberg, The Life You've Always Wanted, uh, kind of set the theme for what I wanted to share this morning. The first, the first uh, spiritual discipline I want to talk about this morning is the practice of slowing. Probably not the one you thought I'd start with. The practice of slowing is, as a spiritual discipline is one that God teaches us and provides for us as training. In Luke five fifteen through 16, Jesus teaches to the masses. His actions in these verses teach us about the practice of slowing. So in Luke 5, it says, Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him to be healed of their sickness but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Similarly, in in Mark 1, it says, That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, because, we, and because he knew that we needed to learn this from him. Hurry in our lives is the enemy of our spiritual life. Hurry can keep us from living well and loving others. I, I don't know about you, uh, but when I'm in uh, a hurry and I'm tired and I feel rushed, my, my life begins to feel like uh, Bilbo Baggins. He says uh, he's, he's like two little butter spread across too much bread. Being, being loving towards others takes energy. Love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Hurry is the enemy of love in all our relationships. Our relationship with God, with our family, other followers of Jesus, and those who don't, know, who don't yet know Jesus. All our, negati- all our negativity is impacted. All are neg- negatively impacted when we are hurried. A study guide I recently read um, compiled a list of you may live, be living a hurried life in the style of you may be a redneck if, and I, so I thought I'd share this with you. Uh, you may be living a hurried life if you live with a daily sense that there's not enough time, or you try to gauge the line at the grocery store and which one will be the quickest, and it turns out if you pick the slower lane, you are deeply and visibly bothered by it. Um... Or if you have a big pile of magazines and books you'd like to read someday. Or if you live your life driven by schedules and to-do lists. Or if you find it uh, difficult to say no when other uh, to-do things um, that will add to your schedule. Or when you find yourself finishing sentences of people that are talking too slow. (laughs) This is not a comprehensive list, uh, but you get the idea. Uh, when an activity that demand, when the activity that, uh, and our demands surrounding us uh, become too hurried, we need to slow down. And this is what Jesus modeled. He withdrew. He slowed. Not to simply get away from the demands of the moment, but to move himself closer to his Father. If the practice of slowing sounds like something that you need to implement in your spiritual training, um, here are some things that, that I ask you to pray about. What is driving me to push myself so hard all the time? What am I trying to accomplish? Who am I trying to impress? Does God really ask me to do all that I'm doing? If after some prayer and reflection, you feel the Holy Spirit prompting to train in the practice of of slowing, here are some things that are going to sound crazy to you that you can do to get started. First, Understand that you cannot change alone and that you need God's help. The training yourself in slowing is by actually slowing down. When you're driving somewhere, take the slow lane. I had someone say, take the slow lane and when people pass you, pray for them. (laughs) Get in the, the longest line at the grocery store and maybe even let someone go ahead of you. If a new line opens up, let someone else take it. Don't be a grocery store running back. Uh, Find ways to to deliberately choose waiting. The the amazing thing is that researchers have found that there's simply no correlation between hurry or type A behavior and productivity. Slowing down can help you discover that you you can survive without hurry. Another way to practice slowing that, that needs to be implemented with this is a concept of solitude. In uh, Reynosa, Mexico, uh, when you, if you go down there at the work team, which I encourage you all to go, it would be awesome to, I don't know, fill a 747, I don't know, to go down there. Um, they have, they force you, you sign up on a chart, they call it FaceTime with God. Uh, it's a half hour throughout the day where no matter what the team is doing, you set that you alone, set that thing Whatever you're doing, you set it down and you go off alone for a half hour and you pray or you journal your thoughts or you reflect on your day. And the first few days you're down there, it's going to be hard to do because you're thinking, oh, the rest of the team is doing something or, you know, maybe it was nacho time and you're missing it. Um, But by the third day, it's obvious that there's a spiritual discipline and there's a spiritual benefit that you gain from slowing down. Should we set time every day where we withdraw and, and spend uninterrupted time in solitude? Maybe. Is it, is it always possible? No. Uh, but it, but if you particularly are finding that, that this is an area that, that you really need to work on uh, and that you're, you've you got this like hurry season in your life, the practice of slowing can be a valuable training regimen to counteract a life of hurry. The uh, The second spiritual discipline I wanted to cover today is the practice of prayer. In uh, in football, when the clock is counting down, uh, and the team that has the ball uh, is down, say like by a touchdown or less, is a long way from the end zone. You see them run a play that has a long shot of being successful. The play is named the Hail Mary. It's named this because it's referencing a Catholic prayer based on the angel's greetings to Mary in Luke 1.28. I might read the whole thing. Hail Mary, full of grace. Our Lord is with thee. And then it goes on. Calling the prayer uh, Hail Mary is, in a sense, saying that the only chance this play is going to work is if God gets involved. Uh, When all the other options are off the table, it's the time to pray. Many of us are like this in our spiritual lives. When the road is smooth and life is good, prayer is not a priority. But when the storm comes, bam—you know, we're on our knees. I know this happens. I think that many of us, at times, when we do pray, we pray out of formality, and we also don't pray sometimes because we think it really doesn't do anything. When I'm talking with a friend who's having a tough time, or, or um, you know, if we're having lunch together, and you know, and and he's like, "Will you pray for me for this?" and I'll say, "Yeah," and we and we pray. Sometimes after the end of the prayer, in my mind, or sometimes out loud, I'll say something like, okay, now what can I do to help you? As if, okay, we've taken care of that formality. Now let me really step up and fix this problem. Let me Dan handle it. Um, so, But Jesus teaches us that prayer is not just for times of desperation. And, and here's the other amazing thing. that Prayer, prayer does actually change things. Uh, there are many places, many many places, in the Bible where prayer changes the direction of humanity. For today, I wanted to turn to kind of an, probably an odd verse for this, but it's in Revelation 8, where John describes the scene in heaven after the seals have been broken on, on the scrolls and, and tell the story that tell the story of human sin and violence, and, and God's judgment, and, and then in, in Revelation 8, it says. When he opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all of God's people. On the golden altar in front of the throne, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angels' hands. See, in this verse, there's silence in heaven for about a half hour while God heard the prayers from earth. All of heaven came to stand still because his people were praying. All of heaven stops to hear the prayers of the saints, your prayers and mine. Every one of them can rise before God. They are heard no matter what. Our prayers can interrupt heaven. Even more amazing is that what tomorrow looks like is as a result of prayer. There's a theologian, um, Walter Wink, that says, history belongs to the intercessors, those who believe and pray the future into being. It's important for us to understand that that as we approach our Father in prayer, that what I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that God is a spiritual vending machine where we can ask him our list and he provides. I'm simply saying that God listens. And perhaps more than any other activity, this is a concrete expression of the fact that we are invited into a relationship with God. Prayer is talking with God about what we are doing together. Much like time spent talking to a friend or a spouse, prayer is what knits our human heart together with the heart of God. If you've, if you've never really prayed or made it part of your day. It can be a difficult discipline to start, much like going up to a stranger and talking to them can feel awkward. I would like to point out to scripture so you can see what Jesus says about prayer. In uh, Matthew 6 and also Luke 11, Jesus teaches about prayer. It starts in, in verse 5 in Matthew, and when you pray, do not be like hypocrites, for they love to stand in the synagogues and the street corners and be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, They have received their full reward. But when you pray, go to a room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. Now see, here Jesus is saying prayer is for communication between us and him. Prayer is not for our own glory. It's not show the rest of the world that we're part of the God squad, uh, but it should be handled in humility and with the understanding that God knows our hearts before we even open our mouths. It doesn't need to be some formal communication. Then God, and then Jesus goes on to say, then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, how would be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, your earth on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we have, been for, have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What Jesus is teaching here is beautiful. The phrase, our Father in heaven, is indicating that God is not only majestic and holy, But he is personal and loving. The praise, your will be done, is about surrendering our lives to him. In prayer, we should be listening and praying that God's perfect purpose, his will, be accomplished in this world, as well as the next. The line, give us this today, our daily bread, is an acknowledgment that God is our sustainer and provider. It is so common for us to think that we are wealth creators, When in truth, all that we have is God's will. This prayer is a reminder to us that we must trust God daily to provide. And he knows our needs. And forgive our debts as we also forgiven our debtors. Seems rather straightforward, but it can be a rather difficult command to live by. Through our faith in Jesus, we are spared death and given eternal life. Despite our sin that is in our hearts. Jesus wants to pray for God to forgive us, so that that uh, sorry, He wants us to forgive those who are in our debt or have acted against us, because it pales in comparison to what He has done for us. And if done in humility and totality, it brings glory to Him. Lastly, Jesus calls for God to help us stay away from the things of this world that the devil uses to lead us away from relationship with him. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He is cunning and deceptive. We need to pray to God to deliver us from the deceptions of the devil. If the practice of prayer sounds like something you need work on and you need to implement and you need to enact a spiritual training, here are some things to get you started. First of all, be realistic. Um, if you do not pray often, do not decide tomorrow to spend an hour a day in prayer. Keep your prayers simple. God knows what's on your mind. Start by sharing that with him. Don't make the practice of prayer a checklist for you to complete for the day. Perhaps read Matthew 6 and Luke 11, and then reflect on the meanings before that you pray. Remember that prayer is as much listening as it is talking. Take time to be quiet and quiet your mind and learn to be fully present. The, the third discipline that I wanted to talk about today is the, pra- prep, the, the practice of reflection on Scripture. God created something beautiful when he created Adam and Eve in the garden. Everything was wonderful and pure, and because it existed to bring him glory, and Adam and, Adam and Eve lived a life centered on him. Loving him. The Hebrew prophets have a word for this purity. The, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than just peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior open the doors and welcomes the the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Uh, After the fall of man, sin entered the world and fractured this peace. Because of this... We as humans tend to be double-minded. This double-mindedness causes us to to know how we should act in a certain way, but instead, uh, we do or we desire something else. Romans seven explains what I'm trying to say here, um, in, in uh, chapter seven, verse fourteen. Now, you're gonna have to be patient with me. I'm dyslexic, so this verse is like a nightmare. It'd be like me reading. You know who's on first. Um, but I feel it's very appropriate uh, for, for what I'm trying to say here. Um, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but is a sin living in me, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out, for I do not for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin who, in me that does it. All right. Thank you. Uh, God has provided us this word to teach us how to return to a life living centered on him. He wants us to seek Him first, His kingdom, and His righteousness. The practice of reflection on Scripture is dedicating our lives to study and training from His Word. It comes from a desire to not be double-minded, but to have a single focus. Clifford Williams, a writer and professor at Trinity College, uh, wrote, We possess singleness when we are not pulled in opposite directions, and we act without wanting something further for ourselves. Our inner drives do not conflict. They are aimed in one direction. The motives we appear to have are the ones we really have. The inner focus is united, and our public posture corresponds with it. We are not, in short, divided. If we want to be saved from double-mindedness and be transformed by the renewing of our minds, this is only possible through immersing our minds in Scripture. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In, uh, in John Artberg's book, The Life you Always Wanted, he asked these questions. Imagine having a mind cleansed of all the debris that blocks our best intentions. Imagine if each time you saw another person, your first thought was to pray for them or bless them. Imagine what it would be like if you were challenged or anxious that your response would be to turn to God for strength. Imagine if you're a married man and whenever you looked at another woman other than your wife, you would see her as if she were your sister or your daughter. Imagine genuinely wishing your enemies well. That is what it is, that is what it would be to have your mind washed by the word. This is what it means to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is how we are to be transformed by scripture. This is our greatest need. So the Bible is to help us learn how to live in the kingdom of God here and now. It teaches us how to change. It is indispensable for this task. In, in 2 Timothy, uh, again, Paul's writing to Timothy, um, says, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Notice here that Paul does not say that the purpose of knowing Scripture is to enable us to get a perfect score on the entrance exam into heaven. He says that the purpose is for us to become equipped for good work, Or to put it another way, it is for us to become transformed into the kind of people from whom goodness flows like an unceasing stream of water. If the practice of prayer and reflection on scripture sounds like something you need to implement in your spiritual training, here are some things you can do to get started. Read and reflect on a fairly brief passage or narrative daily. Uversion and many other online websites have great reading plans. Um, they have one um, looks pretty good. That's uh, called Project 365. It's a great reading plan for spending a year in the New Testament. Um, but there are many other reading plans. But if you're like, you know, you have authority issues and you're like, I don't want to stick to a schedule, uh, I'd recommend starting with the uh, the Book of John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. Uh, it's a great place to start. It has 21 chapters. You want to take a chapter a day or spread it out over 30 days? Remember that when you're reading, the success is not measured by the number of pages you read. And failure isn't measured by the days that you don't. God wants us, God wants to speak to us, to renew us. The goal is for us not to get through the scriptures, but for the scriptures to get through us. The second thing is, ask God to meet you in scripture so that before you begin reading, you take a moment to ask God to speak to you. And then as you read, anticipate that he will. As you read, certain ideas might strike you, You maybe moved in your reading about God's love, or feel convicted about some sin, or maybe prompted to take some course of action. Be open to this possibility that God really is speaking to you through his words. I'll Third, allow scripture to become part of your memory. Uh, memorizing scripture is one of the most powerful means to transform your, form your mind. I put um, three verses up here that uh, you can read uh, are, that are good to start. Um, two years ago, uh, I think it was two years ago, in, uh, we did uh, NT90X as a church. Uh, and It was the New Testament in 90 days, and and there was a group of men that gathered at the at the storefront on Saturday mornings, and Dave, Pastor Dave, challenged us uh, to a Bible verse every week, and it was like you know Saturday morning 6:30, and so it was Friday night at 11 o'clock, sitting there like, okay, oh, gotta get this done because I've got a bunch of guys that are gonna stare at me going, oh, you didn't get it, um, so. Sometimes accountability is good. So, I mean, maybe do this as a family or, or share, um, share this with someone, that this is, this is what God is, is calling you to put into your mind and, and have someone help you be held accountable. It's, it's very important to understand that God is calling us to follow him and that following him means to be transformed. Uh, so as we look at our lives and we're setting goals to implement new spiritual disciplines and training. We, we need to begin with this understanding and this motivation that, that God created us for His glory and that we glorify Him when we live a life that is following His greatest commandment. So we need to approach our spiritual disciplines and training as not the goal, but that is the goal. And the spiritual, spiritual disciplines and training need to be our tools to fulfill our, the greatest commandment. Thank you for letting me share these thoughts uh, with you this morning. If you have any questions, or again, if, you, if you've never asked Jesus uh, to forgive your sins and become the Lord to save your life and you're feeling called to do that, please, please don't let today pass without talking to myself or Eric, one of the elders. Um, we, we are here for you, and your Lord is calling you for back to home with him. Thank you. Uh, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this past year. You are an awesome God. Thank you for all the blessings that you've heaped on us. Thank you for your mission on this earth. Thank you that that you include us in that mission, Lord. For you could accomplish, you accomplish so much without us and you invite us to join you. Because you know that through that, we can find our greatest joy. Please, in this new year, Help us to reach the lost. I'm excited for new souls that are going to come into your kingdom. It's a beautiful and glorious thing, and all the glory is for you. Help us to make sure that as we walk, we're pointing to you, and that there is more of you and less of us. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen.